Well, this morning we are in Second Chronicles chapter 33. This is the life of Manasseh. I have titled the sermon, Big Mess, Boundless Mercy. <laughs> that phrase comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. In our darkest moment, God is there. When we have failed and feel emotions of guilt and shame, God is whispering, my grace is greater. You are never too far from the outstretched hand of God's love. Amen. Amen. I'll be honest, I hate this story. <laughs> I wanted to teach the life of Josiah, and I thought, okay, let me back up and see what's going on before Josiah, and that was his grandpa Manasseh here. And the reason why I hate it is because he brings so much destruction and sin to the nation of, of Israel, uh, the tribe of Judah, and, and I, just, I just despise that. But at the end, he gets saved, and I'm like, no! Uh, oh, I want to get judgment on him, you know? And, I want and then I realize the finger I'm pointing, there's three fingers pointing at me. Like, oh, man, Lord, thank you for your boundless merciful grace. So I spoiled the whole story already. So <laughs> Manasseh lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ and 300 years after David had become king. His father was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a, a God-fearing king, a friend of the prophet Isaiah. I wonder if Manasseh met Isaiah. I'm sure he did. I'm sure that Isaiah was there at the birth of Manasseh. Why wouldn't he be? He's the friend of Hezekiah, the very king. I think of the godly heritage that Manasseh had. I wonder if he saw the great miracles that were done through Hezekiah and Isaiah. You remember the story of the Assyrian king Sennacherib, who had brought his Assyrian army to conquer Judah. He had conquered every fortress up to Judah, and then he tells Hezekiah, give way, give way to us, because your God is helping us. Hezekiah falls on the ground, lays out the letter that Sennacherib sends, and begins to cry out to God, Gives it to Isaiah, Isaiah prays, and then God gives Isaiah a message. He says, listen, you stand still and watch God work in your behalf. And one night, an angel came and killed 185,000 men of the Sennacherib's, you know, army. Destroyed him. I wonder if Hezekiah took Manasseh by the hand out to the battlefield and said, look what God did for us. What a godly heritage. Manasseh's heart is moved from the way of his father away from God. He begins to turn to idol worship. He begins to set these idols up in the house of God, so shocking, so, so shocking to me. 
Manasseh, age of 12, becomes king. And he goes totally the opposite way of his father, Hezekiah. What an amazing godly upbringing. And yet this man aims his life to ruins. Let's read it. Verse 1, it starts off by saying, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the testable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. So here in our story it says that Manasseh became king when he was 12. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of 12 years old and they can barely take care of their rooms. (laughs) (laughs) He's taken over the kingdom because of his lineage. He has... Very little wisdom or spiritual insight. Of course, he has counselors. He rules for 55 years, the longest of all the kings, which is surprising, knowing that he was such a wicked king. The worst of them all. He is far worse than King Ahab and Jezebel. (laughs) Brings so much darkness to the nation of Israel. I'm shocked to see Manasseh doing so much evil. He's bringing back idol worship and sexual immorality that comes with it. I'm shocked because of the godly heritage. I wonder if Hezekiah shared this story with Manasseh. I'm sure he did. You know, Manasseh, when I was told by God that I was going to die, God told him, Get all everything in order. Get your household in order. You're going to die. Hezekiah got on his bed and he began to cry and he began to pray and he asked God to extend his life. You remember that story? I don't know about you, but <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to extend your life in this life. You know, <laughs> I, I told my wife when I was doing when I was having heart surgery. I said, you know, well, God's going to take me home. He's going to bring me back. Either way is a win-win. You know, and I'm, you know, and she's like, don't talk like that. You know, and I'm like. (laughs) Some people are warned about their death coming. Some people are told you have cancer. You have about two or three months to live and get your life in order. And and, and some, they do this. I remember my father-in-law and I shared this story last time I was sharing with you, I had come to visit him and on the counter was a big bottle of Jack Daniels and cigars and we walked in and my wife and I were surprised by this because he had just given his life to Jesus a a few years earlier and he was radical. He had traveled all over the world with us and just an awesome man of God but now he has his Jack Daniel and, and, and the cigars and he said, you know, Bon, he goes, when they told me that I only have a few months to live, he goes, I wanted to party one more last time. And he says, then I realized that's not my life anymore. My life is in Christ. Would you mind pouring it out and just getting rid of this stuff? His eyes were set in heaven. His life was not extended, but here 
Hezekiah's life was extended. I wonder if he shared that story with his son, Manasseh. I'm sure he did. It's interesting that in those extension of 15 years, Manasseh was born. One commentator said that, I wonder if Hezekiah knew that Manasseh would turn out the way he would turn out, would even want that extension for 15 years. Manasseh has gone the way of the world. He's, you know, I think of, you know, in, in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. A godly upbringing does not guarantee a godly child. At the end, each child's life, they have to make that decision on their own. You stand alone before God. You have to make the decision. And each child has to, and there's a sin nature that's trying to drive them as far as way as God. There's an enemy of the soul. He's called the devil as well. He's trying to drive you or them away as far as they can from God. And they have to decide. They have to make up their mind. Am I going to serve God? Am I going to live for him? Manasseh turns from God and pursues evil and takes the tribe of Judah to the darkest season that the nation of Judah has ever known. Those of you that have prodigals, don't give up on them. Pray, pray, pray. Spoiler alert, this guy gives his life to the Lord. (laughs) And I hate it. I wanted judgment on this guy, but then I think about my own life. I know, Lord, no, you know. He turned to God. Don't give up. My mother prayed for me for 25 years, and on my 25th year, I gave my life to Jesus. I was as far away as you can be. So was my other family members, my brothers, my sisters, all of us. Pray, pray, pray. They can't stop you from praying. They'll say, no, pray for me. They don't even know. (laughs) Pray for them. God's hand can reach anyone, anywhere. I read a story of John Wayne, the Duke. He was my favorite cowboy growing up. It says that Robert Schuler's teenage daughter, Cindy, was in a motorcycle accident and had to have her leg amputated. John Wayne is a big fan of Robert Schuler. He heard Dr. Schuler say on one of his programs that his daughter had been in an accident and had to have her leg amputated. John Wayne wrote a note to her saying, Dear Cindy, yeah, you know, you can, I can hear his voice. Sorry to hear about your accident, you know. Hope you'll be all right. Signed, John Wayne. The note was delivered to her, and she decided she wanted to write John Wayne a note in reply. She wrote, Dear Mr. Wayne, I got your note. Thanks for writing to me. I like you very much. I'm going to be all right because Jesus is going to help me. Mr. Wayne, do you know Jesus? I sure hope you know Jesus. 
Mr. Wayne, because I cannot imagine heaven being complete without John Wayne being there. <laughs> I hope if you don't know Jesus, that you will give your heart to Jesus right now. See you in heaven. And she signed her name. She had just put that letter in an envelope and sealed it and written across the front of it, John Wayne, when a visitor came into her room to see her. He said to her, what are you doing? She said, I just wrote a letter to John Wayne, but I don't know how to get it to him. He said, that's funny. I'm going to have dinner with John Wayne tonight at the Newport Club down at the Newport Beach. Give it to me and I will give it to him. She gave him the letter and he put it in his coat pocket. There were 12 of them that night sitting around the table for dinner. They were laughing and cutting up and the guy happened to reach in his pocket and felt the letter and remembered. John Wayne was seated at the end of the table and the guy took the letter out and said, Hey, Duke, I was in Schuler's daughter's room today and she wrote you a letter and wanted me to give it to you. Here it is. They passed it down to John Wayne and he opened it. They kept on laughing and cutting up and someone happened to look down at John Wayne. He was crying. One of them said, hey, Duke, what is the matter? And he said, and can you just hear him saying it? <laughs> I want to read you this letter. He read the letter. And he began to weep. He folded it, put it in his pocket, and he pointed to the man who delivered it to him and said, you go tell that little girl that right now, in this restaurant, right here, John Wayne gives his heart to Jesus Christ. And I will see her in heaven. Amen. Three weeks later, John Wayne dies. Romans 5.20, where sin abound, grace abounds all the more. For John Wayne, super grace for super sinners. <laughs> for us as well. Amen. Amen. Verse 4, Manasseh, oh, he built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his son in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted medium spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Can't even imagine going into the temple where King Solomon built, dedicated to God, and now lies altars to a pagan god that doesn't even exist. It says that Manasseh offered his children to the fire. There was a god named Molech, and they would make him brass, and they'd have his hands like this, and they would burn it red hot. And they would throw their children right onto the red hotness while the children screamed and cried and died. Here this Manasseh participates in a form of abortion. But yet God will forgive him. Just like God will forgive you if you were participated in that. Verse 7, he took the carved image he had made and put it in God's temple of which God said to David and said to his son Solomon this temple and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribe of Israel I will put my name forever I will not again make the feats of the Israelite leave the land assigned to 
uh, your forefathers, if only they will be careful to do everything I command them concerning all the law, decrees, and ordinance given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Dark times indeed. I think of America. I think that leaders can push us a certain direction. And I think there's been a few leaders in the last you know, 16 years of, that have pushed us to an area that is very evil, very dark. I don't know if it was quite as dark as in the, you know, the Jesus movement days. I think of those times. I remember my uncles coming from Vietnam, crazy out of their minds, doing drugs. Do you know it was my uncle who first tried to offer me marijuana? My uncle did. That's how bad he was. I was sitting at a concert with him, and I was probably a 13, 14-year-old kid, and he's like, hey, you want to try this? And for whatever reason, God, you know, God put it in my heart to stay away from drugs at a young age, you know. I said, no thanks, you know, even though it was tough, peer pressure, your uncle giving it to you, you know, it just out of their minds. Dark time, you know, I remember watching their lives and partying and girls and just, they lived with us and it was just a, a horrible time. And I came at the end of the Jesus movement, so I didn't get to see the beginning stages of that, but that's what they said it looked like and the beaches, and naked, and drugs everywhere. And it was a horrible time in, the, in, in, in America. The young didn't trust the old, didn't trust politics or government. And, and then God, God moved. The Jesus movement. Chuck Smith, our pastor, got to sit under his teaching many, many years I was at the Bible college when he'd come over and teach Romans, and God began to use that one man to change the U.S. We changed a whole different direction. We're back to where we're, we started back in those times. We're in a dark time. I can't even go to a gas station at night and pump gas into my car. I, you know, you have to have, and, and I grew up in the streets. I see trouble coming a mile away, but I won't do it. You know, I'm watchful. It's hard to, you know, to go, you know, anywhere in the wee hours of the morning when people are yelling at you at the stoplight this morning when I drove up to church. There's somebody out there kicking the post and the fire hydrants, and I'm praying for him. You know, in my mind, I'm just, Lord, bind the enemy, that devil, and take it away from him and free him from drugs. And he's cursing and kicking the poles and yelling as loud as he can. And I'm like, oh, Lord, save him. It's scary times. It's dark time. We're in a similar place. And yet God will do something. We're not told why Manasseh rebelled, spirit, or rebelled spiritually, but it probably had something to do with wanting to be like the kings of the nations around him. During Manasseh's day, uh, Judah wasn't a particular powerful kingdom. It was sandwiched between the superpower uh, to Egypt to its south and Assyria to the north. Perhaps Manasseh thought that what made those nations so powerful were their gods that they worshipped, so why not adopt those gods as his own? But Manasseh was playing a dangerous spiritual game. His imports led to one sin after another, 
He first built altars to foreign gods, put them in the temple. Then he even sacrificed his own sons by the fire in the putrid form of Canaanite worship. Since Manasseh would not have received any comfort from such an act, it's no wonder he started consulting the spiritists and the mediums. He must have been desperate to communicate with his sons whom he had killed as if such communication was possible. But why not turn to God of Israel for help? Well, no other nation's king did that. Why should Manasseh? Dark times indeed needs a supernatural work of God. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. That's grace, amen? That God began to knock on the heart of Manasseh's life there, began to knock on that door, Manasseh, Manasseh. Verse 11, so the Lord brought against them an army commander of the king of Syrian who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose and bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon some 500 to 700 miles. They're taking him all the way to the capital. Manasseh had gotten himself into a big mess, yet in his boundless mercy, God reached out to him. He called for the king's attention through the prophets, but the words fell on deaf ears. Worse than that, Manasseh seemed to try to silence these godly voices. A parallel account in 2 Kings 21.16 says this. It reports that Manasseh shed much innocent blood. The Talmud and some of our church fathers says that Manasseh sawed Isaiah in half. There's a great revival that takes place even in Manasseh's life, but even in his grandson Josiah, which is a couple of, uh, a chapter away from here. I, I wanted to do that one because it's a better story. <laughs> Josiah comes to the Lord. He's come to the throne at eight. At 16, he seeks the Lord. At 20, there's a great reformation. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, Pastor Ross says, what are you teaching? And I told him that I'm going to teach Josiah. And he says, oh, can you do both those stories? You know, if I'm gone next week. And I said, and he goes, I might be there. I might be ready to do uh, um, Sunday service. So be prepared. And I go, and I said, man, I don't want to do Manasseh. <laughs> I hope I get to do Josiah next week. <laughs> what an amazing story. Great revival. But this is the thing, when the word of God is found, he goes to the prophetess Hilda, the Swedish gal. I'm kidding. That's not, you know, <laughs> she's Hebrew. But why didn't he find a prophet? Because Manasseh killed them all. Went to the woman. The prophetess. Such evil times. Great revival takes place because Hilda tells Isaiah, I mean, Josiah, go for it. The Lord loves you and wants to honor you. And it's just a great story. I hope I can share it next week. I'd like to do that, give you a little commercial. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he sawed Isaiah 
the very man of God that was there that influenced his father. Manasseh had made a mess of things, but the king didn't seem it, see it that way. His health was good, and the economy seemed to be humming along. Who needed the prophet of God anyway? Manasseh would find the answer to the question when God made his next move. Our text says, So the Lord brought against them the Assyrian army, led by their king. They took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, and they dragged him across the desert back to Iraq, 500 to 800 miles away. He's there. Listen to what Jeremiah says about Manasseh here. Jeremiah 15, verse 1 and 4. Verse 1, then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. Think about that. These godly men, even if Moses pleaded with God for them, God says, no, my judgment is going to take its course. It's coming. Even as Samuel, Samuel is an amazing prophet. It says about Samuel that his words never touched the ground because God heard him and acted upon his words. That's how powerful this man of God. Even if Samuel pleaded with me for these people, I will not hear. I think of when judgment does come in a few more chapters, when the Babylonian Empire comes in 605 B.C. and takes over Judah, There's the great men of God there. You you got Daniel, you got Ezekiel, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got all these men, and they could not stop the judgment of God. Because it was set forth because of what Manasseh did. Listen to verse 4. I will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Now you know why I hate the guy. Get him, God. That's what I, when I read it up to this point, I'm like, get him, God. Judge him, man. Take him and put him into the, the, the darkest places of hell, you know. That, that was my cure for that, you know. And in verse 12, oh my goodness, I have to read this. Verse 12. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom that Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Psalms 51.17 says this, The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. If you come to God with a contrite heart and a broken spirit and you say, God, forgive me, he will hear, he will listen. How could this man find favor with God? Romans 5.20 says, But where sin abounded, Grace abounded much more. Manasseh will repent and be forgiven. His life will be forever changed by the grace of God. 
You are never too far from the outstretched hand of God's love, my friends. Never. However deep your sin may be, his grace, his grace is deeper. However wide your sin may be, his grace is wider. However high your sin may be, his grace is higher. However bad your sin may be, his grace is better. However much your sin may be, his grace is more. Amen. Listen to this, my friends. This message is for the the worst sinners of them all. If you waved your fist at God and you sinned against him, this message is for you. You cannot leave the outstretched hand of God. He's there to offer grace. God answers Manasseh's prayer and restored the kingdom to his throne restored the king to his throne in Jerusalem. What we learn from this is that no matter how big the mess is that you have gotten yourself into, God's mercy is boundless. God's mercy moved him to forgive Manasseh for turning his temple into a place that promotes idol worship. His mercy even forgave Manasseh for murder of his sons when he offered them to the Canaanite God. God's mercy for you is also boundless. There's no sin too large, whether the sin of abortion, that horrible, you know, the first time I saw the video of how they, 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 oh my God, I don't even want to describe it to you guys, but how they dislodged the baby out of the womb, oh my goodness, It, it was horrific. And it changed my idea, my life of how that, that whole industry works so against it. How they destroy children. And when I had my face, first baby, my little girl, Brianna, I just, no way. How can you do that? But we do it out of whatever reason. Some do it. You know, out of ignorance, out of pride or whatever it may But I want you to know this, that if you have done it, God will forgive you. God will restore you. He will give you grace. He'll forgive you of all your sins, just not of abortion, but all of them. The sin of ignoring or disobeying God's word. Or the sin of filling the temple of your heart with things that this sinful world values. There's no sin whatsoever that God has not forgiven. God is gracious and he knocks there at your heart there and he says, let me come in and I will take those sins away. Let me say this, when, when, when God forgave Manasseh, you have to remember that, that when he forgave Abraham, he said he imputed righteousness to Abraham and it says that he forgave David of the worst sin ever of you know killing a man, taking his wife and doing so many. It says that God forgave him And it says there, David sang out, oh, happy is the man whose sin is forgiven. I want you to know when God says you're forgiven and he says this, he's looking at the cross of what Jesus will do for them there at the cross some 700 years from now, at least in in Manasseh's case. Sin has to be dealt with. So Jesus went to the cross. 
And it's there that he paid for our penalty, our wrongs. Every wrong we've ever committed, waving our fist at God and cursing at him, using his name in vain and doing every other thing that's contrary to the word of God, it was paid for by Jesus on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, what do you think he was talking about? Your payment. The payment of the sins of the world. It is finished. <laughs> Love that phrase. And he gives us entrance into God's kingdom. It's so easy now to receive Christ because of the hardest thing he ever had to do was to pay for our sin. It's easy for us just to believe and receive. We confess our sins. We get right with him. This is what Manasseh is doing. He's crying out to God. He's saying, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new. And God does not turn away from such a sinner who calls upon his name. Now we move into verse 14. He's back in Jerusalem. Radically changed. <laughs> Repentance always leads to change. If you have turned from your sins and given your life to get to God, there is a great change. John the Baptist once shouted out, show fruit worthy of repentance to the religious people. Come out and get baptized, but show fruit of it. That you're sincere in your heart. Do it by your actions, your works. This is what Manasseh will do. Verse 14, it says, And afterwards he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of Gihon, spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and circling the hill of Ophel. And he also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. Here it is, verse 15. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the images from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offering and thank offering on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. I love that. Not only did, it being, did God bring reformation in his own life, but now he's caused this man Manasseh to bring reformation in the city of Jerusalem. And here he is, getting rid of the things that once overtook him, the things that got in the way of his relationship with God. It's amazing. When I, when I gave my life to Jesus, it's funny. that The pastor didn't tell me anything. He didn't tell me, go back and read your Bible. Go back and get cleaned up. Throw away all the garbage that once took you away from me. He didn't say anything. He said, you're saved. You know, be blessed. Go home, you know. And I went home and the Holy Spirit began to work on me in my room. And I was sitting there and just, you know, just shaking and reading the Bible for the first time I could understand it. And I go, I need to get rid of all this stuff that's in my house, you know. And, and I remember getting a trash can and putting all the garbage, man. There was a lot of garbage for a single man. One night... Just a few hours into my relationship with God, there was a great reformation that took place in my heart. Because that's what happens when you repent. It changes. And the, the changes really depend on you. How much, how serious do you want to become with God? My, my, my life was serious. I was serious. And I went and threw my brother's garbage out too, you know. And he's like, <laughs> what are you doing? This is my stuff. I'm like, yeah, get out of here too, you know. I'm like... Verse 17, the people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high place, but only to the Lord their God. So they were commanded to, 
to take care of their sacrifices in Jerusalem, but they didn't obey. They still wanted to do the sacrifices. But now it's to the Lord, but on the high places, which is dangerous. Obey the word of God is better. When Massa returned to Jerusalem, he was a different king. He cleared out the idols he had put in the temple and urged the people to worship the Lord. The God of the Bible is all we need. Verse 18, the other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to his God and the words the seers spoke to him in the night of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the king of Israel. We don't have those, but man, I wish we did. I would love to see how he prayed. Listen in verse 19. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites where he built high places and set up an asterisk poles and idols before him. He humbled himself. All were written in the records of the seer. We don't have it, but man, wouldn't it be nice to read that prayer? Wow, what was the prayer that touched the heart of God? That caused, that caused God to bend his ear and say, I hear and I will respond. For us, it's a simple prayer. Here I am, God, forgive me a sinner. Acknowledge who you are. Confess your sins and believe. And the God who created all the universe and all that we have in it will bend his ear to hear you and to act and to forgive you. This is a good lesson for the prodigals, huh? It's a good lesson for us. Big mess, boundless mercy. Those are the lessons we learn from Manasseh's words. Throughout the Bible, we see examples upon example of God's grace and mercy while interacting with men. God intervenes with his word, calling us to repentance. And if need be, he grabs our attention with pain in our lives. That little hook in Manasseh's nose probably didn't feel good. <laughs> but it got his attention. Don't mistake the pain for punishment. It was the pain that got the attention of Manasseh thrown in the prison. And there he was with a people he didn't recognize or didn't know. He didn't understand their language. All alone. Left for dead. Then he begins to cry out and pray. And the God who creates the universe heard him, caused the Assyrian king to have grace upon him. God forgives King Manasseh and then puts him back in Jerusalem. What an amazing story. You know that Josiah, his grandson, will be six years old when Manasseh will pass away. I wonder if Manasseh, grandpa, put Josiah on his lap and began to speak to Josiah and say, Josiah, don't do the things I've done. Don't kill the prophets. Don't kill the ones that tried to help us, like Isaiah. Don't rebel. Don't worship the idols in high places. Love God because he loves you. And if you turn to him, he will forgive you. I wonder if Manasseh had that conversation with six-year-old Josiah because Josiah becomes this amazing, radical man of God 
that we will read, God willing, next week. Amen? (laughs) Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen? If you've never given your life to Jesus and you would like to do that, I want to help you. I want to help you say a sinner's prayer. I'm a man of God. I'm going to always teach you. (laughs) We teach you everything else, but we don't teach you how to repent (laughs) and get right and say a sinner's prayer. If anybody here needs to get right with Jesus right now, you need your sins forgiven. Would you raise your hand and I'll pray a sinner's prayer with you. Anybody here? Amen. Amen. Anybody else that needs to get right with God? God's calling. He's knocking there on your heart saying, come to me. Anybody else? Well, let me pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray right now, and you can pray with me in, in your silence of your voice or out loud, whatever the Lord puts you in your heart. Say this, God, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask you, to forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I believe that you came to the earth and died for me. I believe you were buried and that God raised you up. I believe the whole story. I believe you made a way for me to get right with you. So right now, I confess my sins. I give my life to you Show me how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, the Bible, and really it's not a magical prayer, right? It's a prayer between you and God. If you said that prayer, the Bible says there's a rejoicing going on in heaven. Angels are rejoicing because my son or my daughter was lost, but they are found. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.